I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> Hello everybody and an extremely warm welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Gavin Casey here as always and I'm joined by my colleague with the 42.ie, Murray Kinsella. Murray, how are you? I'm a little bit sleep deprived because it's it's so warm in the evenings but I'm definitely not going to complain about the the class weather. I'm loving it. Uh, Trying to nip out as much as I can in between all that's going on because... It's been a brilliant and busy and a bit of a tetchy build-up as well to the Lions test, so it's going to be fun this weekend. Yeah, I really can't wait for this show. It's heating up uh, both here and in South Africa, I think. Bernard Jackman, I can't help but notice that you've got a, an extremely different background <laughs> this week. Uh, what's the story, tell us? <laughs> um, I've moved house and hopefully now I'll have a, a stable place to, to chat on a Saturday. I, I was on the couch um, in, in the back garden for the last, last month, so yeah, no, look at a um, bit of stability uh, and uh, looking forward to, to, to chatting about, obviously, European Cup and, and the Lions. Yeah, we'll do that. To anybody tuning in just on audio, Birch is in some kind of massive library in his new gaff, looking incredibly studious and showing Murray so and I classy. up. Absolutely. This is, <laughs> Bernard, before we get into European Cup chat and the Lions, I mean, this is Lions adjacent anyway. I didn't really want to ask you this question again, but our good friend Steve Lenthal down in Canberra, uh, who's a big longtime supporter of the show, was wondering on Twitter, uh, I suppose on a scale of one to zero, he says, uh, <laughs> sorry, on a scale from zero to the night before Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I'm keen to hear how hyped Bernard Jackman is now. He later adds that, depending on the answer, he might get up at 2 a.m. to watch the tests live. Uh, yeah, look, at I, I'm, I'm, I'm on board now. The, the Springbok A game uh, got me. I, I didn't enjoy any of the other stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I just can't wait to see how how Saturday plays out. And I actually think the second test and third test will be better than the first one or more intriguing. But no, I'm, I'm an 8 out of 10, 9 out of 10. You've periodized it incredibly well, Birch. Can you talk us through the process? <laughs> well, I look at I didn't it wasn't a plan I just like I love the Lions tour I just with the whole no crowds the fact the box weren't released back to the South African provincial teams um, yeah I just couldn't really get on on board I mean there was the games were just too one-sided but well, you know once that Lions that Lions Springbok A game and you know I thought the Springboks were in incredible shape um, and just brought brought something completely different so yeah no, I know I want to see what Gatland and, and Townsend look it looks like you know we're going to talk about selection but it looks like the Lions are going to take risks and I think that's going to be intriguing yeah he'll be tucked up in bed early on Friday night like a good boy waiting for the big one on Saturday morning uh, we'll get into it here um, let's chat about the European Cup first and you could be forgiven I suppose if you missed the draw yesterday so for anybody at home who has tuned out a little bit or has had tunnel vision towards the Lions uh, similar-ish to last season two pools of 12 best eight from each pool will qualify for a two-legged last 16 affair this time around then one-legged quarter-final semi-final and the final on the 22nd of May in Marseille uh, I'm trying to think off the top of my head who the province has got Leinster reunited with Montpellier. They'll also face Bath. Munster playing Wasps, I think, in a competitive game for the first time in about 10 years. So that kind of feels a little bit fresh. And their old rivals cast who pop up every three or four years. Probably tougher asks then, Murray, would you say, for... 
Connacht and Ulster. Connacht have uh, Stade Francais and Leicester, Ulster, Clermont and Northampton Saints. So what did you make of the draw to begin with? And then we'll move on to a listener's question about yeah, it. Yeah, it, it kind of took me by surprise almost a little bit yesterday. I was in the middle of a Lions presser and, and then I remembered, all, you know, this is actually happening because it is so far away. It's beginning in December, the, the pool stages, obviously in a very different format as well. And as it's being announced live, it, you, you remember how, how kind of convoluted and, and complicated it is. But in the end, they get two opponents each and, and it is exciting to, to look forward to that. I actually think Connacht could go okay there against Stad and, and Leicester, Ulster, Claremont and, and Northampton as well. Like Claremont and Northampton haven't been giants really in, in their respective competitions in the last few years. I think all of them actually are, are quite negotiable. Yeah, there's a bang of familiarity off some of them in terms of Leinster Montpellier and Munster Cast in particular, but that often breeds a bit of contempt and rivalry as well. So there's there's intrigue there. Um, so I'll probably forget about it now for many many months um, and come back to it in December and, and realize that there there's some tasty clashes here. Before we do put it on the back bench, so to speak, for those few months. Question here in the members WhatsApp group, members.the42.e, if you want to get involved and. These members do help to shape our coverage, as you'll see today, because there's so many good questions about the Lions as well. But here's one to begin with from Adrian Hennessy about this Champions Cup format. I'll throw it to yourself, Birch. Adrian says, have they ruined the Heineken Cup with this format? After four rounds, 24 teams, with two thirds of those teams progressing to the last 16 in a home and away format. It's only one game less than the old format, yet incredibly less merit, uh, meritocratic and less likely to throw up any upset until at least the last eight is the quote-unquote fewer pool game a COVID residue in order for teams to travel less, etc.? Or could this be the format going forward? To which Sean in the group added, this format <laughs> this format is a load of bollocks. Uh, and he was... <laughs> and that went down pretty well with a couple of people who agreed with Sean. So can I get your thoughts, Bernard? Yeah, I, I prefer the old format, to be honest. Um, I, I, I didn't think it was a huge amount wrong with, with the way, way it went. I don't know... I don't know what the long term or even medium term plan is from from the ERC in terms of are these kind of is this set up because it's still COVID um, uh, environment or is this how they want to go? Uh, I, it's a great competition um, and you know I think it should be cherished. I'd love to, the French and the, the French and the English you know being more competitive in it. I think would would will will help. Obviously the French have just won up. What I mean in terms of you know sometimes we get teams who don't put their best foot forward early doors, which I think is, is frustrating and devalues it. Um, and we saw that last season when teams lost their first game, not just French, and, and effectively they threw in the towel. So that that's not great. But look at, um, let's let's see how it plays out and give I'll give it a season to, to settle down and see how it works. Last year, I didn't think it, it worked that well, but... Um, in fairness they were very restricted in terms of the games they could play etc so I'll, I'll wait and see Will you be as patient Murray as Bernard there? I, I have to say I'd be along similar lines as, as those members messages you mentioned there in terms of it just feels very different to, to what it was and it probably excites a little bit less the competition we've spoken about how English and French focuses have been a little bit shifted elsewhere and, and their domestic competitions a strength to them but and and you think hopefully something in terms of the URC improving will will follow here, but it does feel in a tricky spot the competition and the the organisation even and and priorities. There's talk of club World Cups as well, obviously, and that's happening in the background. So 
probably remains to be seen exactly where it fits but for me it's been a brilliant part of the rugby calendar and rugby history so i hope it has a place moving forward yeah uh just to round it off i i do agree that it is bollocks but we'll say into lion's chat with an email here from billy keenan this was sent to yourself murray let me just uh shift my phone across because it's quite uh substantial so he's a recent the 42 member and first time emailer and he hopes you're keeping well i mean you've already seen this i'll get into the actual <laughs> bulk of the email i should have checked this before and so billy says i just wanted to get in touch and ask a question maybe you guys would cover it briefly on the pod but i was wondering what do you think of ian mcgeekin and as an analyst slash pundit on sky's coverage of the lions so far i've been really impressed with them Oftentimes, across different sports, when a former coach appears on the TV coverage, the weight of their experience doesn't come to the fore, whether that's because they're speaking in cliches or their heart's not in it. Whereas every time they cut to McKeegan, particularly right after the halftime whistle, I find he always picks out a really interesting point that otherwise would have been overlooked. His experience, how he views the game and management of players really comes across. And unlike other coaches who have been out of the game for a while, he views the game in its current form as opposed to seeing it through the lens of when he last coached. Just curious to hear how you found his analysis so far. P.S. Billy says, as a listener, I liked the opening seconds, minute, asking the lads how they are. Nothing worse in today's remote day and age when people skip over it. It's important to ask the lads how they're getting on. I think that's directed at yourself, Bernard, rather than Murray. But uh, going back to the actual issue. Vindication for you, Gav. Vindication. Absolutely. And and I'm glad to see you are doing well, lads, as always. But Murray, to get to the actual bulk of the question and the crux of it, Maybe it's a tricky one for you to ask you what do you actually think of McGeekin as a pundit, unless you think he's very good, in which case you can just wax lyrical about him for a while. Yeah, I, I love analysis of the analysts on, t- on TV. Um, I, I enjoy his input. He's like Lions royalty, isn't he? He's there for a kind of specific role, almost the, the historian of it, the the weightiness of, of what Lions means and, and how powerful it can be. And he, and he does add a, a sense of that. Now, Sky in the past have probably overdone that a little bit, but I think they've got a, a better balance this time around. Um, yeah, I, th- I think he adds something to, to the mix. There's a there's a decent mix there. Warburton, obviously, with plenty of current insight into the game. I think O'Gara, despite the 10-second delay or, or whatever it is, has been really good as well. He's just so interesting to listen to. Really good opinions as a coach, but he's also just a an opinionated rugby person he's he's got thoughts on on most things and he's got the line of the the series so far with his Lionel Messi comparison and, and Ches and Colby it's been used ever since um, and I'm enjoying their coverage I'd say it's a really tricky job particularly without fans I don't think they've overdone the hype I think um, Sarah Elgin's doing a brilliant job over there as well on on the ground so they've got that that flavor for it and, and I've enjoyed their coverage so far I generally don't get to see much of rugby coverage around games because I'm, I'm usually there obviously this time our plans were um, cancelled to, to go over, so I'm, I'm following a lot more on TV, and, and I've enjoyed it on the whole. Birch, what do you make of Geach and the Sky coverage, generally speaking? Yeah, look, I, I think Geach, I agree with Murray, I think he gives you an insight um, that the more modern uh, our, our recently retired players or coaches um, struggle to in terms of his lines pedigree. Also, I think he's got... Uh, he's a real good generalist um, and he's got a very high game sense so he's got a feel for how the game has gone or is about to go which is invaluable and uh, um, you know well he probably wouldn't be brilliant at getting into the the micro kind of element of it uh, I think he's he, he's a really he adds a really nice balance I, I, I am enjoying the, the coverage I'm not sure about all the co-coms um, I, I, I really like Nigel Owens um, 
in general uh, and I find him you know a very knowledgeable and, and uh, was always very good at sharing and, and giving opinions on things I just don't know I don't know if he needs to come in as often or um, and Will Greenwood I just think maybe it's just too many just too many co-coms but look at it it's it's hard thing to get right and uh, um yeah, I, I certainly wouldn't turn it off. Um, I, 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 am enjoy, I am enjoying it. It is interesting, the Owens thing, Murray, because he offers incredible insight to refereeing decisions, but maybe something that they didn't take into account beforehand, or perhaps they did and they're just taking a chance because it's, it's a reasonably new concept. The fact that there are so many infractions and so many decisions in rugby almost dictates that he has to come in so often. And the decisions that are made and some of the laws are so technical to a more casual observer and even at, at times to probably all of us that maybe it actually is a requirement for him to just speak at greater length than even he anticipated himself you know yeah absolutely it's a fascinating part of it i i had thought they might use him at half time full time focus on the big couple of decisions and i agree with Bert, there's a lot of input i think it's fascinating to see the uncertainty that he has as well even sitting up there with multiple replays angles not in the heat of the moment like i've disagreed with a few of his calls and i think the other co-coms have as well and and you think actually that other co-com is, is right and he's got this one slightly wrong so it's <laughs> there, there's a really good illustration there of how difficult a job the referees have and how big a role they're going to play like nick berry's first up this weekend ben o'keefe is coming in then after that having got i mean the independent disciplinary committee decided that he had got his decision around rika corbetti wrong and they, they didn't uphold that red card so those guys considering what we're talking about in terms of physicality brutality aggression they're going to have a real big job on their hands so I would presume that Owens is going to really come into his own um, over the, the course of the test because there will be some big decisions to be made. He's going to be a busy man for sure. Let's kick off then and chat about the teams and get going with this match preview. I'll start with yourself, Bernard. What was your immediate reaction when you actually read it? Did any names stand out to you? We'll obviously get into the Conor Murray Alley pricing, but maybe outside of that, were you surprised by any calls that Gatlin made? Look, I can see, and I know there was, we were getting a bit of slack last week for not hyping up Jack Conan, and... and but I, I did think he would go with Falatau. I just thought Gatlin would go with and back Falatau to step it up because um, he's been there, down that road so often with him uh, in a Welsh jersey and a, and a Lions jersey. But I, I can see absolutely Jack has been excellent on this tour um, and it probably shows that they want to play you know, all the selections show that they want to play um, with with Wiss, and I think they they felt that period, and and unfortunately it was down when the box were down to thirteen and fourteen when they got joy in, in those wider channels. But I think that's the that's the glimmer of hope that they have is that they can get around that that rush and someone like Conan, who's probably more suit, who is definitely more suited to to the wider spaces and using footwork and getting his hands free. Um, rather than crashing off nine off an, off an edge into into a wall, um, so I'm I'm delighted to see him. I, I said I, I thought he would stick with Falatau for the first test to give him the chance to to bounce back, um, and you know so he's probably the the big surprise. I I I saw Courtney Laws you know being at six. I think that's been earmarked for since the squad was selected. Really, um, Gatlin has a has a real feel that he is someone who will. You know, be able to match the box physically, and and I think we saw that in the A game, um, that we were a little bit power shy. Um, Count Dickey's come in on form. You know, Ali Price. Yeah, you know, I'm sure we're going to talk about that. Bigger, I thought since the start was going to be starting ten. Probably the wings. Um, yeah, Adams and and Reece Samet for me. 
you know, I, I think they'd probably be a little bit hard done by, even though Duane Van der Mer has done incredibly well. Um, I, I think that if, if we do get around the all or the box, um, if we do get around them, uh, absolute sheer speed is going to be crucial because we've seen how how well they they scramble uh, and I, I just think being big, being big, which and powerful, which Duane Van der Mer is. Um, you know it's important, but I think absolute necessity to to get to that try line quickly um, could be the difference. But look at no, he's not short of pace, uh, and Watson's a, is a, is a top player as well. So um, all in all, yeah, I'd say Conan was probably the one that I I didn't read, uh, I didn't see, but I do admit his form has been excellent. It certainly has. We did catch a little bit of flack as Burden mentions on Twitter. I know you guys hate when I reply to those as well, but I. I kind of can't resist, like because eventually we're going to be talking about Conan. We're we're going to do so now, Murray. When you put it into context, the last eighteen months of his career, considering the fact that he hadn't played a test in eighteen months until February, and he himself said on an interview with Second Captains about two or three weeks ago, which is a great listen, that he was not being expected to, sorry, he wasn't expected to be called up himself. So much so that. His father wasn't even watching the squad announcement. And here he is starting the first test. So can you wax lyrical about him for a few minutes, not just to satisfy the haters, but to pay him his dues because it's been a remarkable turnaround and surge in form that's being rewarded. I didn't realise you'd been involved in another Twitter spat, Gav, so that's uh, negative marks against you. Oh, you were tagged in it. You you were tagged in it, but I think you have me muted at this point. (laughs) Maybe I do. Um, Yeah, I'm really impressed by how he's seized his opportunity in the last what under six months it was 18 months until he'd he hadn't played since the the 2019 world cup for ireland until this year's six nations against italy it was almost a little bit under the radar his return because ryan baird and casey got their debuts and then the england game he was obviously outstanding and and he got his opportunity with i suppose injuries to other people kaylen doris got ruled out of six nations and he returns in and he's always had those kind of unlucky moments or things quite haven't fallen for him in his career and and he hasn't maybe had that chance to fully unleash his his maximum potential and then things just fall into place this is a repeated story in rugby you've obviously got to be primed and work really hard to leave yourself in position to to take the opportunity but as yourself he himself didn't see himself being on the on the Lions tour and and he's just grabbed his opportunity on on here i mean yeah, I, I was surprised as well because I I thought that Gatlin would have the faith with, with Faletau and his proven track record and acknowledging maybe that some of the opposition the Lions played wasn't outstanding. But Conan has done everything he's been asked and more. His footwork's been excellent. His power in contact has been excellent in the close quarters. He's really comfortable out in the wide channel, in the 15-meter channel, which he'll be asked to do within their attacking shape. And then defensively, I've been really impressed as well. That was one of the things that Joe Schmidt was always on him about, his consistency, his focus in defence, his ability not to lose concentration for a little moment. But he's been fully switched on all the time here. You're seeing him get really good effective tackles around the legs or up high and slowing down the ball carrier. And that variety has has been really impressive. So he's well suited to what the Lions are going to do here as well. Birch is right. Like you look at the team... And you, you just remember all those moments on the tour where you hear people on the ref might go on tempo, tempo, tempo. Even the last day after Sam Simmons scored that try where they went pretty much the, the length from their own 22. And there's a couple of minutes left and, and you can kind of put the feet up. Stuart Hogg is screaming tempo, tempo, tempo. And it's obviously a, a massive part of what they want to do this weekend. So I think Conan is a really exciting selection. It was definitely a surprise for 
pretty much everyone I think and and himself as well a little bit I'd say if he's as honest as he was in that second captain's interview but he's taken his chances so far and what an opportunity for him to fully realize that that potential the box definitely didn't expect to be facing him um, and it's nice for for Gallant to have been able to spring a few surprises like that and change the picture for for the box to what they would have expected. Just to get more of your own thoughts on the team, Murray, I'd rather ask you the same question as I asked Bernard a moment ago. Let me throw a couple from the group to you. And there was a kind of similar-ish theme to both of these questions, I think. One from John B. Would the lads be concerned by the lack of any star players? And he has star in inverted commas on the Lions team. There seems to be no real game breakers in the 23. That's controversial, I would say, John B. But Ross then said, uh, Gatlin said it's his hardest ever test selection. Do you think that's down to an abundance of talent or rather a lack of world-class players demanding automatic selection? The only nailed on position was Furlong. Yeah, the amount of unknowns are high here. And that is a concern like Gatlin himself said it they went into their selection meeting him and all the assistants picked their 23s and they only had four of the same forwards and three of the same backs in many ways that's kind of alarming because they don't know exactly what they were looking for in their test team whereas the box you know are complete completely cohesive aligned is the word they always use they know exactly what they're going to do how they're going to go about it I think if Gatlin's assistants aren't sure who's best matched to the plan they have to to beat the box that is concerning and even guys like Ali Price and Duhan van der Merwe absolutely have been really good on tour. I would say with Price against weak opposition. like, um, And obviously he, he did really good things in the Six Nations, as did van der Merwe. But we haven't really seen them in a game of this magnitude. There's a little bit of an un- unknown. He has no combinations whatsoever built up in his, his team. Obviously injuries and COVID have hampered things. But you've got Price and Bigger going into the biggest games of their career, having played 20 minutes of rugby together against Japan. Uh, the centres have had 57 minutes last weekend. The front row haven't started together. Back row haven't started together. Um, it's it's the story across the team. There are obviously, you know, they've been training together. They've got national team teammates in the in the same team. But people always talk about cohesion and combinations. Gatlin mentioned a lot, and they just don't have that. So he's taken a punt with a lot of this. Um, and in terms of the, the star players, absolutely, there are, in my opinion, game breakers there. Like Hogg is one of the leading counter-attacking players in the world. I think Watson is incredibly difficult to tackle, even when he's in a confined space. Daly's got game-changing abilities with his, his left boot. I think he's been really slick in his handling as well on, on this tour. And obviously, Duhan van der Merwe is, is an outstandingly powerful athlete. I think he's really in there for a bit of balance in their back line. I can imagine him being their first phase, second phase ball carrier in some of the set piece strikes, which Townsend has been working on and probably holding back. And they're going to be absolutely key in this game. So there are bits of, of stardust in there, even Price's ability around the fringes. Like that's his strength, his creativity. Think of that kick for Darcy Graham in, this, in the Six Nations, a beautiful bit of vision and execution, obviously against the Stormers. Again, I would say against weak defence, he was scooting really well and, and bringing people into play. So... They have lots of exciting attacking um, qualities in their individuals, but it probably is a bit of a concern that they haven't gelled together yet, and that happens, needs to happen extremely quickly because if you lose the first test, history so shows us you're going to lose the series almost certainly. Okay, Birch, Ali Price over Conor Murray in the starting 15. Off you go. Well, it's a sign about the game plan. I think, um, and I don't think it's comforting uh, um, that there was such... A lack of um, alignment on selection. I think that's a scary 
um, and uh, 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 that that generally doesn't lead to a cohesive performance. So look, a price is obviously there to pick up tempo, uh, and I don't think this boxer that unfit, and, and obviously that's going to be something that the lines are are using as one of their you know their their key parts of their mindset and, and to try and create belief. Look at the last twenty minutes, we we they'll be fatigued, and and you know the lines certainly got back into it in the second half in the Springbok A game, but I think the box will feel that they needed the games, you know, much, much more than the Lions did. So, um, Price has ability. Um, I think it's a big risk. I know that they probably don't want to kick that much, but he has a tendency to get blocked down. I, I, I'm sure uh, Razzie and Felix and Jacques Nienabar are, are, are showing lots of clips of him being ruffled at the at the back of breakdowns. And the reality is you're going to have to box kick at certain times. I mean, uh, the Lions aren't going to run from from everywhere and play seven, so um, it is a bit of a gamble. But look, I'd love to see him take the game by the scruff of the neck, and and it's an unbelievable opportunity for him. The only worry I would have is is about him and and Duan van der Mer is just their experience in in really important games like this. This is another level, you know, and you know they haven't played in Grand Slam deciders, they haven't played in European Cups, um, uh, knockout sta- final stages. So that's the only doubt about them. But look at the coaches have seen him over the last four or five weeks and. Obviously, Gregor knows them really well, and they feel they feel they're ready to step up. But it is a gamble. It's a gamble from from Gatland, uh, in, in my opinion, to to go with Ali of the three nines. He's probably the biggest gamble. But look at with with that, there may be the biggest reward. So uh, that's I'm fascinated to see how he how he adapts. Uh, I mean, opposite him is Faf de Clerk is just you know I know Rogers spoke about Cheslin, and I absolutely agree. Um, and he has stardust, but I think if you look at all aspects of Faf's game, and obviously he's he's more involved over eighty minutes than someone like Kobe is, I think he's ahead. Uh, he's the, the top nine in the world at the moment, and uh, you know, so Ali has a has a big marker to step up to to make sure you know he influences the game in a, in a positive way. Is Faf better than Anton Dupont for your to your mind? So he's, Anton Dupont is, is is absolutely brilliant, and he has moments of absolute sheer genius but uh, what i'm talking about is is how like he looks after the forwards how how accurate his box kicking is how aggressive he is defensively so for me at the moment in terms of you know overall over 80 minutes uh, i think flaff is just slightly ahead would you agree with that murray i picked dupont just because i i'm always looking for the attacking rugby and and that side i know faff can do that as well he's definitely got a a more refined kicking game though and, and a sense of control of the game two unbelievable players hard to choose there in, in terms of the line squad like i think it's really interesting that the team like it was always going to be important that they got the lead in this game because if you give up the lead to the box they're so good at just suffocating you out of the game you saw it in the a match as soon as they got 17-3 realistically you're kind of done there they're so good at shutting you out even in the last quarter so frustrating for the lines camp down their own half and this line team looks like it's just going to go all out to, to get in front. And then you have the control off the bench. So it's a little bit of a reversal of what we usually see in terms of impact. Like Conor Murray and Owen Farrell and even Liam Williams are those reliable, steady heads. So Gatlin, I think, is almost banking on being in front. If they're not, they could be in a bit of trouble because, yeah, just as I say, the, the box are so good at closing out games with their tight five units to come off the bench as well they'll have that bit extra power up front um so it's a fascinating selection and how he's gone about it and he said listen i have no preconceived ideas about how i'm going to select on this tour and in fairness to him he's 
he's backed that up he's he, he's a guy who goes with his gut instinct as much as other things as well and, and he's generally been right we should mention that his record in this kind of stuff he's got the occasional one wrong but generally is, is outstanding and he's gone with his, his gut again but I wonder is that the same in terms of how they're going to beat the box whether that has been a, a longer term plan or whether that's something that's changed as they've gone and you just hope that everyone is on exactly the same page around this plan for the weekend just to pick you up on what you were saying there about bringing an element of control off the bench uh will you allow me to go on a small bit of a ramble here and i promise there will be a couple of questions at the end of it i might throw them to yourself bernard but with murray coming off the bench right so if you look back on Joe Schmidt's Ireland team and you think of that game in Cardiff with the Zebo flick that always uh, gets banded out every March or so February like Ireland didn't even score in the second half but won the game comfortably they built that lead that you're talking about even the Grand Slam game 2018 like Ireland under Schmidt were experts at closing games out and they would do it by keeping the ball a lot but like equally defending a lot they just seemed comfortable doing it and I wonder is that even possible to do anymore when you look at how the game has moved in the last two or three years and the number of unbelievable comebacks now that we see both at club and international level where a team has built a similar sort of a lead but remarkably the other team works their way back into it it seems as though to have sterile possession and try to close a game out like that teams are more frequently now pinged uh probably opposition are, are better at the breakdown obviously the laws have changed as well it just seems like a more difficult thing to do Bernard than it used to be and when you're bringing Conor Murray on from the bench as well like he's not really accustomed to that role either he is an excellent game manager but he's coming on to close out a game which is something he doesn't often do and I I also am asking is it harder to do that now than it was say a couple of years ago it is it is harder to do it for sure but the box didn't have that same philosophy that that Joe Schmidt's teams had, which is just keep the ball. They literally just would put you back in your 22 and their kick chase and their defense is, is phenomenal. So it's, it's, it's different. I don't see why they, and I agree with Murray. I think if they get a lead, the reason they're so hard to catch is because they are so disciplined in what they do and they believe in it and they don't go chasing scores like other teams do. They don't get carried away. They're just so pragmatic. And then they have the tools in terms of athletes, you know, the system, uh, work rate, aggression, power to to squeeze you. So it's 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 very difficult. Can Conor Murray come on if the Lions are ahead and, and close out the game? Um, yeah, he could for sure. He can because the box aren't that good at chasing the game. Um, so like I think for them, what will take them out of their stride is obviously the flip of it of having to come out of system, come out have to come out of structure, um, and try and score and, and run from a little bit deeper. If you look at how they play. You know, they really up the ante once they get in around the 22. They have that power game. But it's very hard to to power your way, you know, with consistent gain line carries from 50 yards out. Um, so they don't tend to do that. And they, they save their they save their energy. So I, I think Connor could definitely steer us home if we if we get ahead. Um, I wouldn't have any, any worries about that. It's just, yeah, can we can we get ahead? And how how I suppose locked in is our attacking game that's you know, Gregor has, uh, Gregor obviously feels can, can get around this rush. Like realistically, I, I don't think we have a second playmaker that's really accustomed to it. I mean, Daly's experience at 13, <clears throat> you know, he's not a seasoned, at least with Farrell, he's played a huge amount of 12 and he, and 
you could say, look, he's going to be very comfortable there and he's going to be able to play into that rush or go over it or, or whatever. Like with Robbie and Daly, that's a big ask because we saw gl- glimpses of it against in the A game of how aggressive it is. Like, I mean, there's teams in Europe who rush. Uh, even, you know, France's rush is nowhere near as aggressive or kamikaze-like as, as South Africa's is. And then obviously... Their scramble behind it is, is phenomenal. You know what I mean? So it's not just a case of getting around it uh, or over it. You still have a huge amount to do. So I, I just think it's going to be fascinating to see. Gregor was obviously stuck in Joburg. So I think he missed a week on the field. We haven't seen these combinations together. Um, I think this week, uh, in terms of a test week prep, um, it, it's going to be so interesting. Can they get it locked in uh, well enough to be able to expose the box first test? Because I think if you don't expose them first test, uh, like what's Gats going to do next week? Like the people he's going to bring in are going to be more based around power, um, and we know that we know that's unlikely to work. And obviously, if the box get confidence from smashing us behind the gain line, their 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 self belief is going to be up. So I think you know Murray said statistically it's important, but I, I think in terms of how the second and third test could look, um, I, I think if if the if the lines attack doesn't fire, I think it could be very difficult to to find. Uh, a plan B second third test that's a brilliant brilliant point the balance there is, is key sorry just to reiterate that I think their set piece attack as I said is going to be massive I'd say a huge amount of detail has gone into that but if their plans don't work in two or three phases then they've got to bring their kicking game to, to the party I think the counter attack <clears throat> just based on the personnel they've picked is essential as well they've got jackal threats in Wynn Jones Luke Cowan Dickey Tom Curry Ty Byrne coming off the bench obviously and again, trying to strike one or two phases. And if the box recover and scramble and get shape again, don't just play into the face of it because they thrive off it. They laugh in your face when they smash you behind the gain line and they just they just love it. So I think being really smart in the balance, obviously you want to bring attacking intent and ambition, but that doesn't mean you play to 15 phases of getting hammered backwards, make a mistake and Ches and Colby goes down the other end on, on a transition. Um, they've got to get a, a really smart clinical approach those first two three phases in saying that when it was forced upon him in 2017 Gatlin did find a plan b and it probably wasn't what he wanted to do but he wound up playing Sexton at 10 and Farrell at 12 and having that second playmaker at 12 something he's not doing this time around again in the first test but I guess he has shown at least evidence that if he needs to he will do that next week if if you know what I mean like it's not that he's completely yeah, no, inflexible no. so yeah no Gav I hear you and I, I, I sorry I didn't mean to say he was inflexible I think he's shown flexibility by setting this team up to try and try something different but what, what I think is the difference between the All Blacks and, and the box the All Blacks defence is is average it's not like that they're not set up to defend uh, so you can change your attacking strategy um easier against them because they give you that edge they're an up and out uh, type defense so having a second playmaker you know makes it easier for you I, I, like I just think that the box are built on, on, on defense and uh, I think it'd be harder to make a few tweaks in in week two if you know you've preached this week this is how we beat them and we, we, we don't get any joy there. That's that's all. Because, the re- sorry, it's not that he won't change. It's just, the fact is it's going to be harder to change because the box are built on, on defence, really. A question here from Dermo Murray, and we'll chat about the box. This is probably a nice way to lead into it, actually, as in their match day 23 and so on. 
But he was saying in 1997, the Everest was the box scrum. And Keith Wood mentioned the hardest and most vicious training sessions he ever experienced were the Lions training sessions prior to the first test in 97 to help front up to the South African physicality. His question for the pod is, uh, is the box scrum and mall still the Everest in 2021? Or has the focus moved on and shifted to neutralize the kick and run game from South Africa to win the series? Yeah, I think traditional classic areas of the game are essential for this again against the box that's their dna scrum mole restart kicking game included in there and collisions we're talking about attack and counter-attack here but those areas are, are absolutely pivotal <clears throat> and you saw in the world cup final that was it was scrum for the Springboks. it was the main theme of the game they got on top of england there and they ruthlessly punished them and it was it was absolutely pivotal in, in the in the final so if the lions can negate that or even get an advantage there potentially because he saw Win Jones put Nyukane in, 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 in real trouble in the A game. I think Tyke Furlong will fancy his chances against Oxen Che who's making what his third start for the Springboks very inexperienced at this level. Now they have that incredibly strong front row to come off the bench. Essentially their I suppose their first choice props anyway. Uh, Bongi and Bongi and Malabi and um Malcolm Marks are two brilliant hookers. And I wouldn't be surprised if they use their bench even in the first half, to be honest, the way Razzie operates and, and throwing different pictures at you. But maybe the Lions can get a little bit of parity here. Really interested to hear Birch's take on that. But just in terms of the box, I suppose Gatlin's never had a better chance. You know, they've had a, a really disrupted build-up. They haven't played a lot of Test Rugby. They've lost uh, Tendai and Tawawira, who was obviously essential to that scrum. They've lost Francois Lowe and Orgy Snyman at the moment with their bomb squad diminished. Um, it's all going to be at sea level, so not going up to the altitude in, in the high veld, no home fans. So there's a lot of factors here that do tee up the, the lines nicely. And, and even still, the box look really impressive. As Bert said in that South Africa game, somehow the A game rather, somehow they came out and looked really cohesive again and, and in tune with each other. So it's still a remarkable challenge. But there are factors in the in the lines, I suppose, positivity uh, ledger with the with the build-up and, and the circumstances just on that apparently Razzie and Jack Nienenbar fought to the absolute death to go back to Joburg for one to test at least uh, I mean they realised what a massive advantage it is for the Lions to to play the three tests at, at, at sea level I agree with you Murray they, ha- they have some injuries as well and obviously the the fact that their season you know didn't have the same uh, level of, of competition as, as we had in the Northern Hemisphere is a blow but they look in good shape I think he's kept the, the start the best front row for the bench um, and I, I agree with you I think that could be on they could be on really early um, and they have the potential to get after um, the the Lions scrum. The Lions are, look. The Lions would obviously won some penalties in the in the A game, and they'll take uh, you know belief in that. But uh, I think I think that's that subs front row for for the box is uh, is dangerous, anonymous, um, and and it's Nyman out. I mean, I mean, how bad is it to have someone like Diager? on the bench you don't lose yeah. you don't you don't lose much um with, with him so yeah they 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 produce locks um 10 a penny i i'm a bit shocked with with uh smith at, at eight uh i i wonder did was there something covid related with the, the pre-brothers uh where they missed a little bit I, I think they could have added to it but look he's a very hard worker uh for sure but for mullen and and the, the pre-brothers out um yeah i i think the back row battle um i think it's front five front five with a with a start with a sub front row on the bench that's the that's the real area strength for the for the box 
It is a little bit of a different makeup, certainly with, with Smith there. Like a guy who came through Springbok Sevens, he's certainly more in the mobile jackal hunting people down category than Dwayne Vermeule and the big hitter, defensive leader, totemic figure at, at number eight. It's a little bit of a different mix and he has a different skill set, but still a, a really good player who'll bring different different blend. Their bench as well, like with the 5-3 split, is is a little bit different. Damien Willemse and, and Elton Yanchi's for me, probably not players that you would want closing out a, a game. I, I don't think they're proven and I don't think Yanchi's in particular is that kind of out half at all. So... Uh, they are a little bit diminished the, the spring box and i say that with trepidation because i still think that what they can serve up is absolutely phenomenal um but i think gatlin will be pointing out all these things to his players and, and saying they're they're right for the taking here what is the idea birch to your mind uh behind keeping say as you guys perceive it the first row first choice front row or first choice props on the bench like because it's all when a good saying you can spring them on the lions and surprise them they obviously know they're coming on at some point i'm not sure it's going to be that great a shock and equally if you had them on from the start like those moments are as important as the last few minutes or the last hour even if they come on early in terms of scoreboard like i mean points are worth the same in the first half an hour yeah i think it's interesting i think if you, if you think about it okay there's two two ways of looking at it you could say the referee takes um makes an impression in the first half an hour and it's very difficult to change that uh, that's a risk but i also think the scrums at the start of games are often very messy um so neither team really can show dominance obviously the england world cup final was a, a bit of an outlier but in general in general you know i think the box will feel if this front row can hold their own for the first half they have an opportunity also from a coaching point of view to be able to sit down at half time in the dressing room with with Marks, Kitchoff and Mal Herb and actually give them some clips around how the lines are scrummaging, how the referee is refereeing it. You know, you're really tooling them up with the best possible information to go on then and uh, and react to that as well. So um yeah I, 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 I can see the I can see the reasoning behind it. I, I don't think the Lions will get massive like uh gains out of the out of the starting front row, but I'd be worried about the the, the the impact that the box set can bring on. And I'll, I can see, you know, being able to actually get a sense of how the game is being refereed, being able to see what the lines are doing, um, what's working, what's not, and then go out with a plan as a tree um, could be very effective. You, you saw it in that Georgia test, the one match they did get where the Georgians started really well at scrum. It was messy though, Birch is right. And, and you see the referee call go, listen, I'm just going to give this to the Georgians. And then Matt Herbert comes on for Inukane and just absolutely savages the Georgians, wins a big penalty and bang, there's the momentum of the game. It's just one penalty, but it's more than that. It's the kind of moment that South Africans and the Springboks just feed off. We're on top of you here. We're going to put the foot in the throat and not let up from, from here on in. It was so typical. Um, I was interested, Bert, on your thoughts on what Gatland said about that South Africa game. He felt he was speaking specifically about the scrum and the mall defence. He said, we've dented the box ego yeah, a little bit did you yeah, did you feel was that was just to be honest the, like the scrum the lions they get get the best um out of the scrum refereeing decisions and when beard came on you know we did um we we, we did stop we we choked up i think one wall we they got no go forward on another um so that was effective but like he's beard's not on the squad and um it was very much down to his individual ability and and his strength and you know i'm sure 
I'm sure that Razzie and Jack Ninabar had clips of, of those malls that were stopped. Um, and I'm sure there was a legal, a legal uh, play in that as well. So, you know, uh, that could quickly turn out to be a weakness. It could give away three points. So, um, it's a, look, at the, the, the coaches, when they speak, you know, in press conference or post-match, they're trying to get inside the mind of the opposition coach, the opposition players. Um, trying to find reasons to to rebuild confidence because obviously it was a bit of a blow for the Lions to lose that game, but also you're setting the scene for the referee for the the first test as well. So um, there's meta behind the uh, everything Gatland and and Razzie say publicly. I'm surprised he hasn't tweeted a picture of a yeah. South African scrum penalty <laughs> exactly. yet or something like that. What did you make of the comments, Mur? I enjoyed it. I always love that kind of stuff. As Bert says, that kind of not very subtle at all messaging. And I enjoy Gats's ability to niggle. Like, Razzie will love that, you know, and so will his, his type 5 forwards. But if you're getting a reaction out of them, you're kind of succeeding in your goal. And obviously, they're trying to communicate referees. I think the team or the referee meetings were, are today. And that's going to be an important part of this test match about how they get in Nick Barry's head. A guy who... I would imagine is hoping there's not going to be a lot of scrums and a lot of contentious mall decisions because he probably wants a bit more of a flowing game on it. I don't think he he will completely get that. But I think they're going to be trying to put things in his head, showing pictures of what happened in that game and, and previously at World Cups and, and that kind of stuff. So he'll have some massive decisions to make. But I thoroughly welcome anything a coach says that's not just completely bland bullshit after a match. I loved Razzie's tweets. I thought it was an outstanding bit of just razziness i don't know how to describe him he's always up to mischief he's always got a glint in his eye and, and i think that kind of stuff is, is great for the game obviously he's trying to put a message in there and if owen farrell comes on and there's a, a high tackle maybe that's in nick barry's head but the more mischief the better for me 100 percent. I, I particularly enjoyed how razzy identified the irish examiner out of all publications as the one to reply to his former local paper syllable monster in there somewhere as we wind towards uh, your own predictions then lads uh bernard can i ask you just on something that murray mentioned a moment ago about this being probably gatlin's and the lions best chance of beating south africa in quite a while uh, i mean obviously they only play every 12 years anyway but there are a number of circumstances um that would uh, lead you to believe that Lion, the Lions have an upper hand. Uh, maybe not quite the two teams, but just some of the background to this tour, generally speaking. And yet, for all of the talk about South Africa not having ideal preparation, which is completely justifiable and understandable, did that A-game not dispel the notion that they are undercooked? Like, particularly given that they will have all trained together since then, pretty much. Um, like... This idea that they're coming in a, a sort of a shadow of themselves, surely, uh, and it, it has been largely propagated by them, it should be said, but surely it is nonsense based on what we saw of probably eight of them uh, only, what, 10 days ago or so. Yeah, I think that was a huge blow to, well, so my expectations around the Lions, just seeing how good a nick they were in. Um, and I think we have, to, uh, for me now, their favourites, the Lions have to show... Uh, that they can actually unlock uh, and, and find a way to beat them. I think you have to give them massive credit. World Cup champions, they have the belief. They they've doubled down on on the on the game plan. Um, they have the athletes to do it. Like the Lions couldn't go out and play like the the box. You know, you just you, you can only do it if you have those tools. Uh, and even the stuff around you know the criticism of their style of play. Um, you know, other countries might get upset by that, but it, like 
the box this this is this has been ingrained in them since they you know they won a world cup under under Jake White i mean and the bulls were dominant in, in super rugby that they don't see rugby having to be about you know offloads or or running from deep this is very part very much part of their rugby culture so um i i just don't i'm i'm worried that we we haven't you know we're going to play with tempo but i i'm not sure if that's going to be enough uh, week one, to be honest. Murray, uh, is this the most... Let me uh, I tr- let me try and think of how to frame this. Like, this box team looks incredibly powerful. It's stating the obvious. And you kind of look at the potential disparity between them and the Lions, just in terms of raw power. And that maybe is being a bit unkind when you think through that Lions pack, but I suppose a little bit clouded as well by what we saw in that A game. Like... How would this stack up, do you think, compared to even 2009? And I know we're talking about a different era of the game, but that South African team was also a world champion team two years prior, and they were incredibly um, abrasive and powerful as well. And that was the fear back then, that you know, no matter how great this Lions squad was, and it was a great squad, they may not be able to match that sheer physicality um, do you see that as being attainable for the Lions this, this time around, or do you see it being a legitimate discrepancy and you kind of have to play around that, if you know what I mean? Yeah, I think the latter. I think they are more powerful. And it, it is a really good comparison because they're obviously World Cup winners coming into it. They have a nice, cohesive sense about their squad. We talk about combinations lacking in the lines, but they have some lovely combinations. Halfback, centres, <clears throat> so cohesive, right through the, the spine of the team, even with a couple of changes. And the players like Ibn Etzebeth who are in your face, they're brilliant rugby players, all of them, as well as big, powerful men who love confrontation. And if you take them on in that aspect of the game, they, they generally rise to it. As you saw with their kind of grandstand defence in the in the A game on the, the try line, most teams just want to be out of there. They look to be really enjoying it. And, and that's such a difference. Even someone like Lucanio Am, one of their classy players, he comes alive when he's defending. Most players are just waiting to get the ball and turn over the ball but he, they just they just live for it so definitely i think their doggedness and competitiveness as well as the physicality it's a mindset thing as as well as actual athleticism that is that is a concern for them um and it is going to be brutal it'll be different 2009 obviously because you can't get away with anything that people got away with even back then which is crazy to think it's not that long ago um and i do think there probably will be a big red card decision in this series somewhere that has a, a bit of a sway like everything that's we've seen in test rugby in recent times suggests that there will be um so while i don't make that prediction with any glee in any way and, and hopefully everything is legal that could have a, a big say in it as well i think the lines yeah you've obviously got to get some parity there you're not gonna you're not gonna allow ali price to show what he can do if if you're not winning collisions and going forward that has to be stated like Conor murray almost misses out in a sense because he started that game and and it was tough for him to look good. I think Ali Price would have really struggled in, in those circumstances as well because they weren't getting momentum and, and allowing their, their halfbacks or their backline to be in a good position. So it's really basic at the end of the day. You've got to, you've got to get parity there as well as maybe looking to play away from it at, at times as well. So we've mentioned a lot of areas in which South Africa on paper probably have the edge, Birch. We know that there is a way for the Lions to win this game and we're yet to see if they can produce it. We'll find that out on Saturday. But getting into the more intricate details, say if we were to run through all of this at piece, right? You reckon the box, if they bring on those uh, that front row from the bench, they probably have the upper hand there. Uh, one would imagine anyway. What about things like line out? Uh, like 
where can the Lions actually get at this South African team? Where are the weaknesses on the flip side here that Gatlin and Cole will be looking to expose on the day? Yeah, so I showed some clips for the members pod uh, for that webinar we had around how Lions have to be brave line-out strategy-wise. So, um, you know, the the box will give you the front. They'll double stack middle and back if you go off a seven-man. Um, off a six-man, they'll... They'll they'll pod middle and middle and back. They'll look like they're going to go to the front. But if we don't if we don't get the ball off the middle or back, forget about lineouts. Unless unless Gatlin's got some kind of plan that they can catch him on the second or third phase, getting caught behind the gain line on the first one. And and that some coaches have a strategy where they purposely, you know, have a crap starter play to get hit slightly behind the gain line. So the opposition fold around the corner really quickly and then you come back and get them against the grain. Uh, but I think, you know, Brett Igo picked, showed some really good clips of how how the, the blind side is automatically um, uh, are free. Now, I mean, that, that'll be something that they'll have picked up on as well. So I don't think they'll be as keen to, to fly around the corner that they'll fill that the negative side of the rook quickly. Um, but, yeah, for me, it's all about us being able to get quality ball somewhere towards the middle or, t- or towards the back and and um you know Wales against the box in the semi-final the 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 first turnover um that the box got in the in the in the A game was was ball off the front off of Toje and Bundy just got a neutral carry and from there you're dead so um we need to have you know Robin McBride's got a huge amount of pressure on him uh, in terms of has he found ways or has he shown pitchers to the box to get them to bite down on on some kind of a dummy movement forward um, to be able to open up a little bit of space in the middle or back and because if not I just think they'll shut us down too easily so um, that's the challenge the challenge for me is being able to to get decent ball off the middle or back of the line out to to be able to, to strike off if not if not I think it's going to be very difficult to break them down Dan Bigger kind of highlighted during the week as well how much it's a mental challenge as well as a, a tactical one. He, he was talking about that semi-final that you did brilliant analysis, Birch, on it. And you mentioned a patience, I think. And yeah. that was a, a key word. He said, you know, we played really well in that semi-final. Obviously, they came the closest to beating the box in the knockout stages. But there was literally one or two moments where we slipped, we lost patience, and we gave them an in into our half. Maybe that doesn't convert into three points, but it converts into that kind of momentum where they feel you're on top of you and you feel like you're suffocating a little bit. So that patience is absolutely essential. That's why I actually was kind of conservative with my prediction of the team. I thought Gatlin would go for the guys who've been in high pressure, high situations, high high stakes situations in club rugby and international rugby before. Um, because those moments where you'll just slip a little bit are, are essential. It's a, it's a mental challenge as much as anything. Even when they batter you, say, in one defensive set to to forget about that and go to the next one and be ambitious and get that line-out strike that you've been working on for five weeks, just nail it and, and pick out that little tiny flaw that you that Gregor Townsend has spotted in his video analysis. Um, so they've got to be mental monsters in this game as much as anything, the Lions. The uh, quality ball to which Bernard alludes, Murray, is at the, like, it does feel like the absolute essence of this. And, and just to follow up on what you've just said as well, like those moments that uh, Bigger mentions... Against this South African team, you know, if you get blown backwards behind the game line once, like, you better escape then and there. If it happens twice, or even if you're just sort of brought to a standstill around midfield, that's when they apply even more pressure. They kind of smell blood. They'll force an error. And in transition, they're probably the most dangerous international team in the world outside of France, let's say. Like, they're absolutely ravenous for that mistake. And generally speaking, they punish you. But (laughs) if... 
as we were saying, they have the edge up front, or as we expect they might. How do you actually get that quality ball on a consistent basis? Aside, I mean, obviously, as Bernard mentions, it, you can fashion it from a line-out, but I guess when you're talking about uh, first phase off-line-out or second phase, like how did they actually get around them in this game? Well, I mean, like the quality, the product coming from the set-piece is, is essential. Like picking a... Obviously, they were going to pick a second row or a hybrid kind of at six, and that's a key part of it, is having three really front-line options. Laws, Itoje, Alan Wynne-Jones. Itoje's calling is going to be essential he was talking about during the week how much of a challenge it is given their defensive strengths and aggression um but you would hope that as as Bert says McBride and, and co there have, have come up with a really good clear plan that that they can play off scrum as well if you're not getting possession with a with a decent chance for your backs to, to strike you're in trouble I think van der Merwe will play a key role in getting them over the gain line on first phase they obviously don't have the Jamie Roberts-esque carrier obviously Robbie Henshaw can can do a role and he's got really good footwork close contact and will be used in that sense as well but those two guys will be key in, in getting them over from there and then you're looking at using the creative skills of Hogg and Daly um, playing off bigger those two guys having that second set of eyes I suppose and decision making a little bit further out the line will be essential because often it comes down to a decision around that edge defender with the box because you know they're coming up and in hard inside the 15 meter channel you'll see some kick space there as Owen Farrell did it before Ibn Etzebet blocked him down or you'll see a potential opportunity to get a pass away and, and suddenly you get ball and all hit so your decision making has to be unbelievably accurate because they're the opportunities that the box score off their attack is essentially built from your mistakes the the Ches and Colby created try for Am in the South Africa match was a brilliant example as Bert showed kick kick put you under pressure lines suddenly change out of their game plan instead of box kicking as they would have intended they override the call they don't make a good decision on the kick and Colby has space to score you think of the World Cup final Malcolm Marks dislodges the ball for Colby's unbelievable finish the other one was kick return wasn't it where England just get caught in the short side they don't have enough bodies there and um, Am and, and Mpimpi wonderfully strike so they've got brilliant attacking flair and exciting elements on, on the transition phases of the game when, when you lose that patience or when your attack plays into the, the trap they've set you but I'm fascinated to see what Townsend in particular like really interesting appointment before the tour he's a head coach obviously a guy with massive responsibility in Scotland but took that attack coach assistant role because he's probably so energised by the, the opportunity to try and find chinks in, in the in the box armour so I'll be fascinated to see what he's cooked up I'm frightened Bernard start to take us home with uh, your final prediction although I suspect we're not going to enjoy it I'll ask you for a, a series prediction then on top of that as well um, box box unfortunately oh dear lord <laughs> Murray yeah I'm leaning that way as well but like it goes almost without saying but I'll say it, that, that it is going to be unbelievable narrow the lines of a squad packed full of incredibly good players and even with selection going either way the guys who missed out are incredibly good some of the guys who aren't in the 23 um, and that does make a difference it's a, an absurd concept really isn't it that the world champions the most cohesive side in the world are taking on this rabble that were thrown together a, a few weeks ago but it's a rabble of incredibly good rugby players and guys who are mentally really strong with some serious coaching intellect behind them and as we know it, it there's always a, a big chance for the line so i'm by no means ruling them out of it but i'm probably edging to, towards south africa just based on 
all of the things we've, we've discussed no it's fair and they've proven us wrong on many of uh, many an occasion i should say as is scotland himself uh, i think everybody shares our excitement for it before we do go as well murray uh even more excitement and it'll be our last opportunity to discuss it before it kicks off the sevens at the olympics i was saying to you before we came on it does feel like, like in all sports, the Olympic events are creeping up on us out of nowhere and people are almost mm. not even aware they're happening so soon. I think the opening ceremony is tomorrow, is it? Friday? We're recording this on a Thursday. So, um, listen, we've done a couple of media days with the Sevens players over the last few weeks. Most of them are, are still embargoed, but I'm sure the quotes will come out in the next few days. And like each one of them is just there's no sense of novelty about it like all of them are actually transfixed on going over there and doing well and winning a medal every one of them has mentioned to a man the prospect of winning a medal uh including like going on to win gold i don't know genuinely myself how realistic that is but i love hearing it uh so give us your thoughts on their actual chances here because we have spoken in the past about the magnitude of the achievement of getting there but let's speak about it now in competitive terms how do you anticipate they'll actually get on over there it's a really tough pool they're playing south africa first up a proven high level team they're playing us in the in their second game another who are always competitive on the on the world series and then they play kenya who again are they've pulled off some massive results in, in sevens all those teams actually have a longer and, and better sevens history than ireland but there's no escaping the lovely kind of tidal wave of optimism and momentum that ireland have built up they've had some really big victories over the last couple of years they've grown as a force and earned massive respect really on on the series i think south africa and usa will be very cognizant of the fact that there's potential for for an upset here i really like the way they picked their squad the seven specialists, loads of those original guys, guys who've been in that program for a long time, who understand the game, who understand the intense pressure of seven minutes per half and not making an error and being defensively really connected. And, and that's been a strength of this Ireland team. And then the the attacking delight of, of Terry Kennedy and Jordan Conroy. That combination is as good as any really in, in the tournament. They've got serious weapons there. So... It is thrilling. It's it's really crept up on us. As you said, I think Spain are playing football at the moment. I didn't even know that that was happening at the Olympics. It's been bizarre build-up, really. But Ireland are playing um, Monday kind of overnight, 3 a.m. On, on Monday morning, South Africa, and then 10.30 a.m., according to the, the Irish Olympics website. And then on Tuesday, another 3 a.m. kickoff. So they're not ideal times, but once it kicks off, you know people are going to kind of get swept up in that story again. As you say, there's loads of guys with class background stories and i suppose that have made sacrifices and, and worked really hard to get here so it's hard not to it's impossible not to like this group even following some of them on, on instagram harry mcnulty if anyone isn't is a brilliant follow he's got all the updates from the village it looks like a really cool unique experience there's not many rugby players who've been there and, and done this so best of luck to those guys uh, they'll definitely have a, a big support in ireland yeah they certainly will and birch as much as it is a tough pool for them they have the confidence as well of having beaten those teams in in their own recent history but it's an absolute ball ache of a draw to get ireland now for the teams in their pool and uh, geez looking at them and the fact that they had to qualify so recently and played like competitively so recently at, in such a high stakes fashion and exceeded expectations like they're probably the team in that pool coming in with the most I don't want to say the most momentum, but say the most recent momentum, like the the most real feeling of going over there to do something tangible. Yeah, and they're 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 very well organised. They have their own brand of of playing sevens. Uh, they're they're tough, and they've got two 
absolute speedsters. So, and like the reality is, if you can, if you can score early in those games, uh, you know, it's it can be hard to claw them back because their defense is, is very well organized as well. So, yeah, I, I think they're a nightmare draw for anyone. I mean, because you know, they'll be underdogs. There'll be expectation to just blow them away because there's other teams with more sevens legacy, but. I think this team are, are well set up and I, I can't wait to see them play. I, I, I actually will get up in the middle of the night to, to see them. I think they're worth following. Yeah, they certainly are. I'm sure you won't be alone in that. Looking forward to the tweets and the members WhatsApp group at the death of night as we uh, tune into Tokyo and looking forward to it all as well over the weekend as this Lions series kicks off properly with the first test. Uh, boys, thanks a million to you both, firstly. Cheers, enjoy the weekend. Same to you, lads, and same to everybody at home as well. Thanks a million for your continued support, all of the 42 members. Members.the42.ie. If you want to sign up there, you get all of our extra podcasts, including Murray's Lions analysis. Uh, he and Owen Tulin have been doing video analysis on Mondays. There are extra podcasts, including immediately after games. Now would be a good time, I guess, to get involved as it does kick off properly. If you fancy it, it's €5 Euro a month or €42 Euro for the year. Or if you use the promo code RugbyPod, you get a fiver off an annual subscription as well. I always forget to mention that at the end of the Rugby Pod. Um, until the weekend, mind yourselves, take it easy, enjoy it all, uh, and we'll see you soon.